Good morning. Let me just say what an excellent job and what a great reminder to each and every one of us that God is watching over us. Amen and amen. And it's such a privilege this morning to be speaking to you guys. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Daniel Stevanis, but all of my friends call me Stallion. And so if you hear that, it's not weird. It's just a nickname, I promise. Um, I'm the director of student ministries here, um, and I work with our students. And it's just such a privilege and joy to, to work with them, to work with students, um, but also to be able to come and hang out in this room this morning and share God's word with each and every one of you guys. I told this in the first service, I said, listen, I, I need to tell you up front, and this is not, I'm not creating excuses, I promise, but I was a little hesitant, I was a little nervous about this morning, because I was asked to preach, um, but two weeks ago, when I was asked, was the week before Vacation Bible School, and then the week after that, I just got back Friday from uh, our summer camp with our students. We went to Tacoa Falls, Georgia, with about 55 middle school, high school students, uh, and spent the week there. And I have one person to blame, and it's someone who you know very well. His name rhymes with Trevor Miller. You see, Trevor came to me and said, hey, we want you to speak uh, on this Sunday. And I said, well, Trevor, you know, you realize we have Vacation Bible School, we've got camp. And he said, he said, Stal, don't worry about it. I'm going to help you. It's going to be great. And so I said, Okay. So Vacation Bible School week rolled around, and you can imagine how much time I dedicated to preparing. Okay, I had one meeting as I was uh, talking with, with Janice Albergati. She's speaking in the other room. And, and then uh, during camp, I thought to myself, okay, well, I need to spend, spend time. I need to look over the text. I need to look over my notes. I need to do the research. And so camp was Monday to Friday, and Monday and Friday were kind of like our travel days. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday were the days that, that we had our, our camp activities. And so every single day during camp, we had a little bit of free time in the afternoon. And I said, that's going to be my window of opportunity. That's when I'm going to sit down and study and work on the message. So Tuesday rolled around. I got all my notes, my Bible, my laptop. I went in this little cafe that they had. I sat down, opened everything up. And within 10, 15 minutes, a fellow youth pastor walked in from a different church. And he said, well, what are you working on? I said, well, I'm working on my message. And he started asking me about sermons and preaching in our church and the text. And sure enough, an hour went by and I hadn't really done a whole much. So Tuesday, I said, okay, well, Tuesday, I have my, my second day. It's free time. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to work on this. And I sat down on Tuesday, and I got a call. I said, okay, the kids that are going to the lake, we have an issue with transportation. We need your help. And so I, you know, went here, got the van, got the bus, moved this, put him there. You go there. Where are you going? Get your life jacket. And got them all situated. And before you know it, the time had passed. So Thursday, I was more determined than ever. And, of course, I was a little bit sleepy from all these days at camp because I'm not as young as, as I used to be, as you guys maybe imagine. And so I went and I got some coffee. I got a big, strong cup of coffee. I sat down in my room this time so no one can interrupt me. No one can distract me. I had my computer. I had my notes. I had my Bible. I had my coffee. I took a couple of sips, started typing. The minute I took the last sip, my eyes started to close. And I started to get sleepy. And as I was typing, I was no longer sure what I was typing. So I said, I can't do this. I crawled back in bed for a nice 30-minute nap. That was the highlight of my week. I'm kidding. I had a great time with our students. It was a blast. Um, but I, I have been working then on this sermon Friday and Saturday after I got home. And so I'm excited to share God's word with you guys. But if I'm not as energetic or if you're not sure what I'm saying, if, if some word sounds weird, I'm blaming it on that. Um, we, we, I am excited, though, to, to speak to you guys. And, and as you guys know, this is our, our Sunday before 4th of July. It's, it's our 4th of July weekend. It feels kind of early. Um, but, but we are celebrating. We are thinking about the freedom that we have uh, in this country. And we are so thankful for uh, the men and women who ha have died or who have helped um, in the process of us obtaining that. And we, we don't take that for granted. And this morning, we thought it would be cool to highlight that freedom and speak a little bit about the freedom that we have in Christ through our relationship with him. 
And so we're going to be talking about that topic, and we're going to be in, in Exodus chapter 16. If you have your scriptures this morning, go ahead and turn there. Uh, but before we get there, I want us to understand, I want us to talk, before we even talk about freedom and all that we have in Christ, we need to talk a little bit about the idea of remembering, the topic of remembrance. You see, oftentimes, if we are honest with ourselves, we will think about a memory with such great fondness, with such great encouragement, or such great twinkle in our eyes, but the reality is, is that maybe that memory wasn't exactly as we thought it was. Let me give you an example. I remember as a child going to my grandmother's house. And my grandmother lives um, in, in a small little town in Ohio. And it used to be a blast going there for the summer because she had this huge basement. And she had all these toys that she had collected for us, old toys, new toys. Throughout the years, there was those toys that you would see only when you went to grandma's. And one of my favorite toys to play with there was a slinky. The old school metal slinky that would go rock back and forth. And I remember my grandmother's house, she had the perfect stairwell for the slinky. And as a kid, I remember just this huge, long, narrow, tall stairwell. And we would start the slinky at the top, and it would make its way down the stairs and down the stairs and down the stairs. And what felt like forever. Well, as I got a little bit older, I remember going back there. In fact, when I graduated college, all of us siblings, my parents were still in Italy as missionaries, all of us siblings decided we were going to have Christmas at Grandma and Grandpa's without our parents. And so we met up from everywhere that we were living. We went to Ohio. I remember getting there and going to the basement. I saw all the toys in the boxes. And there was one thing that was different. This, this stairwell isn't as big as I remember it. In fact, it's only about six or seven steps. I feel like, well, what were we doing with the slinky? Why did it seem so big? And it's because over time, our memories start to change a little bit. Maybe that happened to you with somewhere you've gone or been before. Maybe like a restaurant or, or maybe, dare I say, Chuck E. Cheese. That used to be my place growing up. I mean, I used to love going there. You know, give me five bucks, ten bucks, whatever you gave me. I'd buy some tokens, and I'd play all the games and win all the tickets, eat that disgusting cardboard pizza. And I remember just, like, loving that place. It was incredible. There was this animated mouse that would sing to you. Now you go back, and it's like, wait a second. This is weird. Why is there an animated mouse? It's like bad robotronics. Like, like what is going on here? And yet the memories that we have of something can make it so incredible and, and, and so like vivid in our minds, but oftentimes it skews a little bit away from the reality. And most of us have experienced this. That's why we hear stories when we say stuff like, in the good old days, back in my day, when I was a kid, and I always swore that I would never say that, but now that I work with students, I find myself saying it all the time. I say, how do you not know about this TV show? How have you not heard about this song? What do you mean you didn't see the original Jurassic Park movie? But we find ourselves doing this stuff all the time, and we have these memories, and, and sometimes when we look back at our past, when we look at the memories that we have of this stuff, we kind of fantasize and have this like idealistic, perfect view of what it was. But if we're true, and with our, if we're honest with ourselves, there might be some details that were a little bit different from when we, how we remember it. And this kind of amnesia that happens with the mundane, with the everyday things, can also happen in spiritual terms. It's like a spiritual amnesia where we forget for a second that our past life without knowing Christ wasn't that good. And yet we tend to see people around us and think, well, wait a minute, well, they're doing just fine. Well, they don't go to church every week. Well, they're not involved in a small group. Or they're not reading the Bible. They're not spending time praying. They're just buying whatever they want, doing whatever they want, going wherever they want. Maybe... Maybe, maybe I'm, I got this all wrong. And it's easy for us to look back at even spiritual things and think for a second, maybe, maybe the way I had it wasn't that bad. But I want to talk to us this morning uh, about the Israelites, because the Israelites used to do this all the time. 
they would look at their past and they would see all that had been done and they would tend to kind of remember it a little bit fuzzy. You see, the story of the Israelites starts with a man named Abram, later turned to Abraham. And Abraham has a son Isaac, and Isaac has a son Jacob, and that's like the first half of the, of the book of Genesis we just summarized. And Jacob ends up having a bunch of sons, and one of them, his name is Joseph. And through a crazy string and series of unfortunate events, he ends up in the land of Egypt, and he ends up saving, actually, all the known land there of, of the Egyptians and all of the Israelites. He takes them, he brings them into a land called Goshen, where they can go and become shepherds, and they can outlast the famine that had hit the land. And in the beginning of Exodus, it says that there arose a king that knew not of Joseph, which sounds kind of crazy. It's like, well, if Joseph saved everyone, if he was this hero, how did they not know about him? We see some time had passed, 400 years to be exact. 400 years is a long time. I can only count to 100. That's a long time. But they didn't know about him. All this time had passed. And, and what the Egyptians started to realize, what they started to see was, wait a minute, time out. We've got this, this other people group living within our land, living within our nation, and they're starting to multiply. They're starting to become a lot. There's actually more, than, than, more of them than, than there is us. And so they said, well, in order for them not to rebel and come against us someday, we should make them slaves. And so they took the Israelites and they forced them to work for the Egyptians. They forced them to make stuff. They forced them to, to make bricks. And we learned at Vacation Bible School two weeks ago, at one point they took away their straw and they had to make bricks without straw. And they had to labor intensively every single day. If they didn't meet their quotas, if they didn't do what they were supposed to do, they were beaten. And they were abused. And eventually they received freedom from a man named, you say it, Moses. Moses is sent by God to come and to free the people, to free the Israelites, to bring them out and take them to the promised land. And where we find ourselves this morning in Exodus chapter 16 is literally only a month and a half, about 45 days after they're freed. And they have this conversation with Moses. And we're going to read Exodus chapter 16, verse 3, just one verse where it says this. It says, the Israelites said to him, speaking to, to Moses and to Aaron, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. And that's crazy. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And now they've spent 45 days in the desert. And they say, if only we could go back. Now, maybe they had some good reason. It says they sat around pots of meat. I mean, that's like the closest thing that you're going to get to KFC back in ancient Egypt, okay? It wasn't a bucket, it was a pot, but I mean, you understand the illustration. But it says we had all the food that we wanted, and now we find ourselves in this desert. You've brought us here to this assembly to die. It's like, wait a second, time out. There's no way that you can tell me that what they were doing here was, was worse off than what they had. But they desired to look back to Egypt. They said, if only we were back in Egypt. That's where they had been slaves, for 400 years, they so easily forgot their past, and they so easily forgot what God was bringing them to. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's easy for us to forget our past, the true, authentic past, and to not realize what God is wanting to do with us. We, in a very similar sense, tend to look back to Egypt. Some people have said it took only 45 days to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took years and years to get Egypt out of Israel. And the truth is, 
That we've been followers of Christ, some of us for many years, some of us for a long time. Some of us have lived this life in a relationship with God, but if we're not careful, it's so easy for us to start to look back to our own Egypts. It's easy for us to look back at all the different things that, 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 well, maybe wasn't that bad. Or maybe I wasn't that far off. Or maybe I just exaggerated. Or maybe I didn't really need rescuing. It's easy for us to look at the past and kind of have this, this fantasized view of what it was and think maybe that wasn't so bad. Maybe I wasn't so bad off. What did I need that freedom for? You know, as, as Janice Albergati and I prepared for this message, she was telling Trevor and I about a book that she had read where the, the author said that believers nowadays tend to struggle with idolatry, pride, and unbelief more than almost any other sin. You see, we find ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, constantly falling into sin. I mean, we, we look around us and we think about what other people have and what they're buying, the things that we desire, the things that we crave. Or, or we look at the things that people are doing and we, we want to puff ourselves up or we want to feel good about ourselves. And, and so easily we can fall back into sin. We can fall back into our old behaviors. We can fall back into what we've done. We can look back at Egypt and think, man, it wasn't that bad back there. But God's got something incredible for us. He wants to move us forward. He wants us to take us to new levels, new heights, if only we're willing to move forward. And so as we look at the story of the Israelites in Egypt, I want us to understand this morning three ways that we keep ourselves in Egypt. Three ways that we keep ourselves stuck at looking at the past, stuck at the things that have happened, stuck in, in, in all of our old ways. And the first one, the first way, is that wounds must become scars. Wounds must become scars. You see, I don't know how you feel, but when I was a kid growing up, I remember I, I used to like look at my hands and look at all the, the cuts and, and bruises and scars that I have on my hands. And, and, and each one of them tells like this unique story. On, on my right hand, on my ring finger, I had this little, this little line on my skin. And I remember as a little kid, I was rocking on a rocking chair, and I thought it'd be fun to go really fast and really fast and really fast until eventually I fell forward off of the rocking chair. And to brace myself, I put my hand forward, and my hand went right through the glass window. Shattered the whole glass, cut my, my little finger. This is awesome. I love that story. I was a, I was a hardcore kid. <laughs> if, I, if I scrunch my nose a certain way, you see a little line right on the, the bridge of my nose. And I was at my grandmother's house again, and I remember I was sneaking around to try to scare her one day. I don't know why I thought, I thought that was a good idea. But I remember coming around the corner of the couch, and she was sitting listening to, to my grandpa who had just answered the phone. She was trying to hear who was on the phone, and I came from behind her and scared her. She jumped and, and kind of pushed me, and I dove this way and hit the, the, the brick mantle of the fireplace right here. Got three, four stitches for that. I love it. And then, of course, I got my beard now, but if I'm clean-shaven, there's a little line that goes right on my upper lip. And I, say, I tell people that, that happened from the big bike race of 92. You see, I don't remember exactly what, but I remember who. And there was this kid who was saying some mean things. I don't know what he was saying, but he was either making fun of me, my mom, or my sister. I don't even know what he was saying. I don't remember. All I remember is that I challenged him. I said, I'll tell you what, we're going to have a bike race, me versus you. The winner is going to stop making fun of the other person. I said, if I win, you're going to leave me alone. You're going to leave my sister alone. You're going to leave my mom alone. And I just, you know, I laid it all on there. The problem was, he was like three, four years older than me. And the problem was he had a much nicer bike than I had. You see, he had the one with the little shifter where you could change the gears. I had the one where you had to pedal harder to go faster. But I remember I had the determination and I had the grit and the race started and I just remember standing on my bike pedaling as fast as I could. And I don't remember a lot of the details of that day. I just remember looking at him at one point and he had a face of terror 
And as I looked back up, there was a wall in front of us, and our bikes were getting closer and closer to each other and to the wall. And all of a sudden, nothing. I don't remember anything else, except for probably like 15, 20 minutes later, I opened up my eyes, and I was on the floor of our bathroom. My mom had to come all the way outside, pick me up, carry me back, bring me to the bathroom before I even came back to consciousness. I remember looking at her and being like, what's up? And not only that, but I ended up getting this, this huge cut on my upper lip that started to, to create like this, this gross like scab thing. And, and I went to, to camp and I remember I was excited to go to camp because I knew people, I knew it looked weird and, and, and the kids were kind of mean about it. But I had this one friend, my good, good friend, my camp friend. And I thought to myself, well, at least he'll play with me. He won't think it's weird. And I got to camp and he didn't want to play with me. Hurt my heart that day. But you see, we can tell these stories because eventually over time, we start to receive healing. And, and, and these hurts, these, these, these wounds that we have start to scab over and eventually become scars. And the Apostle Paul in, in the book of Philippians, in chapter 3, as he's writing to the church in Philippi, he's actually writing to, to them while he's in prison. So you imagine some wounds and hurts and, and things that he's gone through. And he says this in, in, in chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. He says, brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing that I do, forgetting what is behind me, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says, what I try to do is I try to constantly move forward. I understand that there's hurt in the, in the past. I understand that there's difficulty in my past. I understand that there's wounds that have happened. He goes, but I choose to move forward. And that's a bold thing to say. That's a difficult thing to say, especially when we talk about real wounds, not bicycle cuts and bruises, and, but real hurt and real trauma. You know, one of the things that God has showed me, and I've been amazed, but during my time at Mount Horeb, by the sheer size of this church, the, statistically speaking, we've seen some real tragedy happen within the families of this church. We've seen people who have lost loved ones, some to, to, to age or some to sickness, but some even to some crazy accidents. We see stuff like divorce that tears families apart. We, we see deaths of, of, of young ones even. We've seen all kinds of different stuff and tragedy that happens. And the truth is, we get wounded in life. There's going to be some hurt. There's going to be some wounds. There's going to be stuff that happens that, that doesn't feel good, that's uncomfortable, that stretches us, that makes life difficult. And yet, with God's comfort and his ability as scripture says, by his wounds, we can be healed. Through reading scripture, through praying, through being in communion with other believers, we can actually receive healing from those hurt. I mean, I think of the book of Psalms. Anytime I've gone through a rough time, I find myself, either I wake up early or I can't sleep or I'm struggling, and I'll just read through the Psalms and I'll read about David who experienced things that, I mean, whenever this was written to now, to think, how does he know that I'm feeling these same things? And we receive comfort and strength through the Holy Spirit as we read his scripture. And eventually, those wounds, those hurts, can start to heal. They become scars. And then from scars, they can actually turn into beautiful stories that we can use to share with other people. They can become stories of God's great faithfulness. They can be stories that remind us to move forward and not look back to what we had back in Egypt. To not look back at what held us back or to what hurt us in the first place but instead it can be something that propels us to move forward. And so when our wounds become scars, we can look at what God has for us and we can start to move forward. We can start to experience all that God has for us. The second thing that keeps us back and stuck in Egypt is grumbling and complaining. 
Now listen, the, the Israelites were, were incredible at this. They were just good at grumbling and they were good at complaining. Multiple times throughout scripture it says that they complained about this, they complained about that. It says here that they complained that they were thirsty. They complained that they were hungry. They complained about the journey. They complained they were too hot. It's like, hello, you're in a desert. It's not going to be comfortable, okay? It's going to be like a South Carolina day, okay? It's, we, we understand. It says that they complained over and over again. And actually what's incredible is that when they come out of when they come out of Egypt, the journey to the promised land, scholars say, should have been between 10 and 14 days. So let's just say two weeks. It actually took them, because of their grumbling and complaining, 40 years. 40 years because they constantly complained. 40 years because they didn't believe God. 40 years because they kept hearing God's promises and kept saying, yes, but. And they would complain about their situation around them. They constantly complained. They constantly grumbled. And eventually God said to them, okay, until this generation of complainers, until this generation of grumblers is out, you will not see the promised land. And they wandered for 40 years on a journey that should have taken them two weeks. And so the cure for complaining, the cure for grumbling, the cure to, to fix it, as we know, is to be thankful. And so if I were to ask you right now to take like 20 seconds in your mind and come up with three things that you're grateful for, just think about it for a second. Three things that you're grateful for in your life. And whenever someone tells me to think of something quickly like that, obviously the go-tos that I think of for myself are something like family. I'm so grateful for my family. I'm thankful for every single one of them. I think about my, my job, the opportunity that I have to minister to students, to, to have a, a good job. I think of uh, my house or where I'm staying. Right now I rent, and I rent from a guy who's an incredible guy who lives in Florida, and he has a house on the lake, and he wants someone to take care of it. And so I'm living on the lake right now. I'm so thankful for that. But if we pause for a second, if I were to ask you too, what are the things that you complain about the most? It probably would be the same things that you are thankful for. Like, if I can be honest with you, there's some times that I complain about my family. There's some times I complain about my job. Well, no, not my job. I work in Mount Horeb. It's awesome. It's always great. I complain about stuff in my house. I got to mow the lawn. I mean, after I cut the grass, you know that it grows back? And you got to cut it again? And they, no, I'm just kidding. But, but the idea is this. If we would stop and pause enough long enough to, to be thankful for all these things, to understand what God is doing, what he is providing for us, how he is blessing us, that starts to take away the room to grumble and the room to complain. In Colossians chapter 2, Verses 6 and 7, Paul, again speaking to a different church here, he says, Just as you have received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in your faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Thankfulness, gratitude should be a way of life. If we're Christians, we should be thankful. If we're thankful, we should be Christians. It's one and the same. And if we have a walk in relationship with God, we have so many things to be thankful for. So I'm going to give you a list and, and, and help you jumpstart this. Scripture says that we are forgiven. We should be thankful for that. We should be thankful because God loves us. We should be thankful that we're free, that we are blameless, that we are complete, that we're chosen, that we're born again, that we are a royal priesthood. We should be thankful that we are a child of God. We should be thankful that we are victorious over sin. We should be thankful that we are united with Christ. We're made new. We're given a hope and a future. And if this were a Pentecostal church, someone would be saying, Amen. God gives us all these things. He says this about us. He loves us. Even when we screw up, he provides a way out. Even in our darkest of times, he comes by and walks alongside of us. And we have so much to be thankful, so much to be grateful for. We start to look at him 
start to look at Christ and all the things that he's done. And when we want to complain, if we stop and pause and say, Lord, thank you for all of these things. Thank you for all that you've given me. That it helps us not look back at Egypt. Not look back at what we could have been and could have received and could have had, could have, would have, should have. But instead, we can look forward at what God is doing for us. In 2012, uh, I was approached by a pastor who said to me that he was a, a, he was a missions pastor and he was going to do a ministry in, in Cuba. And he had been going there for many years. And one of the things that he was doing in Cuba was helping a Christian camp build some buildings on their property. And so he helped them develop like one of the, the classrooms and uh, they were doing some like mason work and electric work and all these different things. And it was just in his element. He had been a contractor for many years. He had a lot of friends that he would take with him. But the Cuban church reached out to him and said, we'd love for you to come this one time and do a trip and help us with our, our camp. And so we want you to run games and activities and, and craft time and kind of like a VBS. We want you to bring some, some teenagers, some students, and some college kids. And so he came to me and he said, I don't know what to do. This is out of my element. I need your help. He said, will you come with me? Recruit a team, lead them, let's go. So I said, okay. So I went out and I found some students, found some, some college students, some high school juniors and seniors, and we set up a plan to go to Cuba. Now, when I sat down with him, I'd brainstormed some different games and activities and things that we can do. And I was so excited. I was so proud of my list of, of games and activities that we would do in, in church in America. I said, listen, let me tell you about this idea we, we've got. We've got this crazy idea. We, we take flour, okay? Go with me. So we take flour, we put it inside of a pantyhose. We cut the ends, the ends to it, and we take it and we throw it at each other, and it's like a sock bomb. Every time you hit somebody, it goes, a little bit of powder. And we give it to all these people. It's a great game. It's fantastic. He goes, no, it won't work. I said, it won't work. I said, okay, well, what about this game? I said, we, we take a dozen eggs. And he goes, it won't work. I said, I said what do you mean? I said, I've got, I've got like 10 games with eggs, okay? Like, you don't understand. This is youth ministry. You asked me to help. And he said, no. He said, in, in Cuba, he goes, food is scarce. He goes, we would never do a game with flour. They would say, why aren't you using the flour to cook something? We would never take eggs, which is a precious commodity, and say, let, let, let's throw them and, and see what happens. Like, he goes, no, that, that just can't happen. My eyes were open, so I went back to the drawing board. I tried to sit down with new games, and I realized every game that I play is, is with food. We have this one game we do with students where we take a cookie, you put it on their face, and they have to move it down and catch it in their mouth, and like, no, that won't work. And, and anything that I could think of involves some type of ingredient uh, of, it just wasn't working out. So I remember going to Walmart, and I was like, well, I'll put a pause on the games. I'll work on the crafts a little bit. And I was walking around Walmart, and I found this, this bin with, with like foam stickers. It was like two or three dollars. It was like four dollars if you bought it with dinosaur-shaped ones. But the regular one was like a circle and a heart and a cross. And, and you know, I was like, I don't know what to do with this. I'll just buy a couple of these. And so I bought a couple of these tubs. And I'll never forget we had craft time when we were over there. And I went around, and as they were drawing their picture and coloring the, the Bible story that they had heard, I, I reached into one of these, these bins. I grabbed like four or five of these foam stickers, and I just kind of dropped it in front of them, in front of each kid. And I gave them to each one of them. And you should have seen their eyes light up as they played for the first time with stickers, foam stickers. Like literally, this was like, I thought this was going to be the dumbest thing ever. I just threw it in my suitcase because it was four bucks. And that's what brought them the greatest joy. They were so grateful for something that they had never experienced, that they had never had. There was this genuine side of, man, this is incredible. And I wonder if we could pause and think long enough and think, man, what has God done for us? How has he blessed us? And, and, and see him in the mundane, in the everyday the fact that we have a car and a job and a family and good health, food on her table, restaurants to go to on a Sunday, all, whatever it is to understand that God is taking care of us. So we want to not look back to Egypt. We have to understand that our, our wounds need to become scars and become stories of his greatness. 
We understand that we have to stop grumbling and stop complaining and use thanksgiving in our lives. And the last one is we have to understand that freedom isn't always familiar. Freedom isn't always familiar. You see, one of the reasons why the people of Israel, I think, struggled when they got to the desert was because everything was brand new. They had never experienced this before. This was a new life for them. And, and I understand this. I, I, I happen to be one of those people who likes change, but not everyone feels this way. You see, I actually counted, when, when I transitioned from living in New York to moving down here to South Carolina, in the span of two years, I lived in seven different houses. And one time I had a roommate, and one time I lived with a family, one time I lived by myself, and then that wasn't working out, and I moved over there, then I moved to South Carolina. And, and I thought it was awesome. I love change. It was, like, exciting every time. It was, like, a whole new place. Now, I kept the same address, because otherwise it would have been a nightmare with my mail and, and all that kind of stuff. But it was fun to me. I enjoy that. But for a lot of us, a new experience is scary. It's difficult. You know, when we went to camp this past week, I had these, these two guys um, in particular that were just like super good rule followers. Now, those are the kind of kids that you want in youth ministry. The ones that follow the rules, they want to be where they need to be, when they need to be there. Those are the good ones. Unfortunately, there's not too many of them. But we got to camp, and I just thought, man, this is awesome. This is camp. Most kids want to explore. They want to go off and see what, what they can find, see what they need to do. And so I said to them, okay, you have free time until 6. We got in there about 4 o'clock. I said, you have free time until 6. Go explore. Do what you need to do. Come back for dinner time. Well, I received a text message from one of the guys. I said, dude, we've been in our room for the last two hours. We don't know what we're supposed to do. I said, well, you didn't, get, you didn't hear that I said you have free time for two hours? They said, no, we, we were waiting for you to come and tell us, so we didn't hear you, so we just stayed in our room. I said, you stayed in your room for two hours? I was like, what kind of kids are you? You're amazing. But you see, they were nervous to go out and explore. They were nervous to go out and see. They were nervous. They didn't have a schedule. They didn't have a map of the camp. They didn't have clear outline expectations, and so they just, they just stayed where they were. They didn't do anything. And so often, we are afraid of the future. We're afraid of what could be or what could come. We're afraid of the new. And sometimes we look back and fantasize and romanticize over the old. Scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. If we walk into a relationship with Christ, God fills us with his newness. His Holy Spirit comes and works inside of us. And as we move forward, we're able to change. We're able to do new things. But we have to be willing and open and excited about the freedom that we have in Christ. Even if we don't know what it looks like, even if we're unfamiliar with it, we still can get excited about it. And so every single day, if we're stuck looking at our past, if we're stuck looking in Egypt, if we're stuck in our old ways, the way we move forward is understand that our wounds, our difficulties, our past can actually become a beautiful scar and story of God's faithfulness. We can understand that maybe we need to stop grumbling and stop complaining. We need to start being thankful for all that God has done. And that we need to not be afraid of the future, but instead accept all that God has for us, trusting in him. But some of you guys may say, well, Stal, that's not enough for me. I'm a practical person. I want to do something. That's me. If I buy something new, I want the owner's manual. I want to read through the guide, the instructions. I'd rather you teach me how to do something than figure it out on my own. And in Exodus chapter 14... Uh, the previous chapter, we said that it had taken them about a month and a half to get to this point of grumbling and complaining. But when they first exited Egypt, when they first left Egypt, they met their first obstacle, which we all know of, was the Red Sea. And you see, when they escaped, they started going, and they get to the Red Sea, and in front of them is the ocean, and to the left and to the right of them are mountains, and behind them, the army of the Egyptians starts coming after them. Now, this was like, I don't know, it's like a matter of days for them to have gotten there. 
And already they were complaining. Already they were grumbling for the first time. And it says that they, they go to Moses, and they go to Aaron, they complain. And, and, and the same thing, they say, you should have just left us in Egypt. We should have just stayed there. And Moses shares this incredible insight with them in verse 13 of chapter 14. And I would encourage you guys, as we go back and read chapter 14, the whole passage is, is incredible. But in verse 13, he just says this. Moses says to the people, this is the word of God speaking through him. He says, fear not, stand firm, and see the, the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. He says, the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Some translations say you only have to be still. You see, in order to receive the freedom from Christ, in order to receive the salvation that Christ wants to offer us, in order to, to not look back to Egypt but to move forward in all that God has for us, what we have to do is simple and hard at the same time. We have to do nothing. We have to be still. We have to trust that God is going to work things out for us. We have to stop and allow God's word, allow his scripture, allow our prayer to him to be the most important thing that we do, trusting that he is going to move us forward because of our waiting and trusting in him. And I can tell you, I've been, I've been a believer for a long time. I've been following Christ since I was about 16 years old. And that is still the hardest thing for me to do. If I can be honest with you guys, even these last few weeks, I've been praying to God about something. And, and I had a mentor say to me, he goes, you just need to take time and you need to be still. Well, guess what? I don't like being still. I like to move around a lot. I like to help out with vacation Bible school all week. I like to turn around and go to camp all week. But I've scheduled some time for myself tomorrow morning. I'm, I'm telling you so you can keep me accountable. Where I'm going to get to alone with God, I'm going to say, Lord, what do you desire for me? How do you want to respond to me? How are you leading me? And I realize that I need to stand still before the Lord. Just, just me, scriptures, and my prayers. And say, God, whatever you have for me, however you're working in me, whatever you desire for me, I want to move forward. I don't want to look to the past. I don't want to look at the glory days. I don't want to be enamored by my, my previous sin, my previous life. But Father, what do you have for me moving forward? How can I move in the freedom that you've given me and not keep looking at Egypt? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for all that you've done in our lives. I'm so thankful, Father, because in a room this size, I know that you've done some incredible things in the lives of our people. Father, would you remind us this morning that we can move forward, that we can be free, that you give us that freedom, that you desire from us great things, and all we have to do is to accept it, move forward in it, not keep looking back, but to be still and trust that you're going to do something incredible. We love you, Father. We ask for all these things in your holy name. Amen.